Let's pray as we open God's word together. Father, we thank you that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We pray that as you op- we open your word together, we would understand something more of who your son, the Lord Jesus, is. Maybe your words, not mine, that are shared this morning. It's our desire, God, that we're uh, transformed into the likeness of your Son, the Lord Jesus. We pray that you would do that this morning through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So we're continuing our, our series through the Gospel of Luke. We're up to Luke chapter 17. And we're coming to the end of this discourse between Jesus and his disciples, uh, entitled, in the NIV at least, uh, of Sin, Faith and Duty. Uh, I dare to say that sometimes this is a passage that can be rushed through, certainly in uh, my research and study and the messages I've, uh, I've been listening to over the past couple of weeks. Uh, these ten verses are all, uh, all put together, and the focus very often is on the first five or six. And these last four verses that we're going to spend a bit more time looking at this morning, um, I don't want to say they're ignored, but they're perhaps less often uh, preached upon. Sin, faith, duty. Let's remind ourselves of the whole of this uh, passage um, together this morning. So turn to Luke chapter 17. It will be on the screen, but I do encourage you, if you've got your Bible, uh, to open it. And we're going to read, uh, we're going to read from 1 through to 10. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It will be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied round their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. If they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, You can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in back from the field, come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. In the past couple of weeks, uh, Craig's challenged us on the first um, uh, six uh, or so, six verses in particular uh, of this passage, uh, um, this little um, discourse. Woe to anyone who should cause people to stumble. And then we thought about the importance of forgiving those who sin against us and that challenge, actually, of rebuking those who sin against us. How do the disciples respond to this? I think in the best way possible. Three words. Increase our faith. How can we increase our faith? Well, Craig so helpfully reminded us last week that through those uh, studies, through those disciplines of prayer and of Bible study, that will increase our faith. One commentator says this. First, he strengthens our faith in Luke 17, verse 6. That, um, um, sorry, 
by telling us in Luke 17, verse 6, the crucial issue in accomplishing great things to advance the kingdom of God is not the quantity of our faith, but the power of God. Faith, as small as that tiny mustard seed, can uproot that mulberry tree, that mulberry tree with its thick branches that, uh, that cannot be uprooted easily. Even on the storms we've had recently, the mulberry tree would have been standing strong. Faith of a mustard seed can uproot that mulberry tree and plant it in the sea. But that's just the first part of Jesus' answer. We're going to look at the second part this morning as we look in particular at verses 7 to 10. Go to the next slide, please, Sam. On her 21st birthday, 21st of April 1947, the then Princess Elizabeth, later to become Queen Elizabeth II, was on a tour of South Africa with her parents and her younger sister. And on that occasion of her 21st birthday, she made a speech. And this was one of the things she said. I'm sure you'll recognise it. I declare before you that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service and the service of our great imperial family to which we all belong. That was so off-quoted, wasn't it, around the time of the Queen's funeral and uh, shortly after her death, as we look back on that life of faithful service that the Queen had given to her country, but also as a Christian to her Lord. I don't know how many of you uh, a couple weeks ago were able to watch the Thanksgiving service for the life of Jonathan Bradford, one of the missionaries who we were privileged to be able to support in his work in the Philippines. I didn't watch it all at the time, but I've been able to uh, catch up on the tributes given by his brother, by his mum, Nora, uh, and by his wife, Jingle. And what comes across time and again and again, a lifetime of service. For Jonathan, that was serving the people in the Philippines, that was traveling uh, to places that were unreached. A lifetime of service. Let's have a look at this morning's passage as we think about what that means to live a lifetime of service. In the 21st century, uh, it, it's more common than, than it should be to have, uh, to have slaves. Uh, in this passage, we're thinking particularly about servants. The words can sometimes be uh, used interchangeably uh, in, in the Bible. We're thinking specifically uh, this morning about servants. We wouldn't usually have servants in the 21st century, but I'm sure many of us do uh, employ people to help with childcare or employ someone maybe to help with the cleaning or the gardening or the washing uh, or the ironing. In this example, this servant uh, is, uh, is employed by this family to either plough or look after the sheep for this uh, example that Jesus gives, and then to prepare a meal for uh, the master to wait upon them. The key point here is that serving the master is the servant's duty. It's what was expected of them to do. If it gets to lunchtime at school one day, and I think I'm done with teaching, no one else comes in and just says, you know what, Steve, you just kick back, have the afternoon off, I'll take, a, I'll take over from here. Or in any, uh, in any, if you're working full-time, in any uh, form of work, no one comes to you partway through your working day and just says, don't worry, 
you take it easy. I'll still pay you, but you can take the time off. Just doesn't happen, does it? As an employee, I have a duty to serve my employer. All of us do. In response, we can expect, uh, of course, to be, uh, to be paid for that. The servant in this passage is duty-bound to serve. It's why they are there. It's why they are living in this, uh, in this house with uh, the master. It's their duty to serve. And Jesus is giving this example in, in response to this, in response to this uh, comment from the disciples, increase our faith. Slaves, uh, servants rather, are duty-bound to serve their master in the same way it is our duty to serve the Lord Jesus. Now let's make something very clear, and I will, uh, I will uh, make this point clear uh, again later on. That is not because we need to work our way into God's kingdom. That's not because anything that we can do uh, makes, us, makes God look upon us favourably. It's not because uh, we've done things wrong and actually we can work our way into making it right. That is not the case. What is the case is that the right response to the Lord Jesus and everything that he has done for us is for us to serve him. That's why service is our duty. And who are we serving? We are serving the Lord Jesus. We're not necessarily, uh, it's not necessarily our duty to serve the welcome church or any particular expression of the church. It's not necessarily our duty to serve a Christian charity or organisation. That, of course, at times will be the outworking of that. What is our duty is to serve the Lord Jesus with our lives. Can we have the next slide, please, Sam? If you want to flick back to Romans 11 and then on to Romans 12 with me, it will be on the screen, then do so. Wonderful verses to say the following. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. This passage talks about sacrifice rather than service, but clearly the sentiment is very similar. Our lives should be offered as a living sacrifice to God. We should be sacrificing, we should be serving God with our whole lives. Why? Well, look at the uh, start of this um, passage. When we start with a therefore, we're going to flick back to see why it's there. Why should our bodies be living sacrifices? Can we have the previous slide, Sam? Thank you. Because of the depth of his riches, because of his wisdom and knowledge, because of his unsearchable judgments, because from him and through him and for him are all things. Surely the right response to a God like that is to offer ourselves as sacrifice 
and to serve him. Jesus is wonderful and he deserves our whole lives. He deserves for us to serve him. The most that we can bring is the least that he deserves. Not because he needs it. Not because we can work our way into his kingdom by doing it. Because it's the right response to a saviour who has given everything for us. What does that look like? Well, starting point, look at Craig's message from last week. It's online for you to have a listen. What does it look like to live a life of service? It looks like a life de- uh, devoted to um, reading God's word. It looks like a life of, of, of um, time communing with him in prayer. It looks like a life of, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, forgiving and, dare I say, rebuking our brother and sister. It looks like loving our neighbour as ourself. It looks like honouring your spouse. It looks like honouring your father and mother. It looks like working for the, as if you were working for the Lord rather than men in everything that you do. It's a lifetime of service. Now, some, of course, are specifically called to Christian work. We were praying upstairs this morning that more would respond to that call for, uh, for Christian work. Whether that's for a church, whether that's as a missionary, some have that specific God-given call on their lives, and it's wonderful to partner with them in that. But it's not just them that are called to live their lives as in service to God. We all are. It's not reserved for missionaries. It's not reserved for pastors or elders. Everybody is called to live our lives in service to God. Wherever God's placed us, we should be serving him. I wonder if people would say that about you. I wonder if when you go to work tomorrow morning, people will say, oh, this is someone with their whole life who serves God. I wonder if you spend time with people socially, they'll say this is someone who with their whole life is serving God. Or if your friends and family who aren't uh, believers would say this is someone who spends their whole life serving God. Now one aspect of that might be serving the church. The example that we're looking at here This is about a lifetime of service to the Lord Jesus. It is our duty to do that. Next slide, please, Dan. Thank you. Now, it's important when we're thinking about serving, when we're thinking about working, when we're thinking about what we are doing, not to misunderstand this point. In Bible times, a slave or a servant did not become a debtor to the master, no matter how much work they did. It was their duty to serve. It's what they were expected to do. That's true for us as well. God is never our debtor. Quite the opposite is true. We will never be able to pay the debt that he has paid for us. We can never give him more than than he deserves. We said earlier, the most that we can give is the least that he is due. And he always gives us more. He's so generous and loving and full of kindness and grace that he so richly blesses us. 
One person puts it this way. It's aimed more for, for pastors and leaders, but I think you can understand the sentiment. When we have solved all of our pastoral care problems and fixed the attitudes of all our people and mobilised the most missions and loved the poor and saved marriages and reared godly children and boldly proclaimed Christ, God owes us no thanks. Instead, we will, at that moment, relate to him as debtors to grace, just as we do now. There's no way we can earn our way to heaven. We can't earn God's love. We can't earn his grace. That undeserved favour that he generously pours out on us. We simply have to come to him as we are. Thanks, Ben. Ephesians 2 tells us this. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is, this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We'll come back to that final verse shortly. For now, I just want us to focus on what comes before the Apostle Paul here, writing to the early church in Ephesus, he says that those who have not yet put their trust in the Lord Jesus are dead in their sins, that we are deserving of wrath. All of us have sinned. We've all said and done things we shouldn't have done. Just a few verses earlier, we're told things that cause people to stumble are bound to come. It's going to happen. We all have sinned, we all do sin. Sadly, we will all continue to sin. But, but God made us alive in Christ. As Penny read for us from Romans earlier, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. You will be saved from the coming wrath that Paul talks about here not because we deserve it, not because of anything that we've done, simply because of God's incredible love and grace for us. He willingly sent his son, the Lord Jesus, to this earth to die for us. By nature, we're deserving of wrath. There's severe consequences if we don't choose to put our trust in the Lord Jesus the psalmist puts it this way. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, 
a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Friends, whatever your situation and circumstances this morning, God can lift you out of that slimy pit. God can lift you out of the mud and the mire. God can save you from that oncoming wrath of which we are deserving and set your feet upon a rock if you simply put your trust in him. And this is in response to increase our faith. Surely, by knowing that a God who loves us, a God who sees our sin, a God who um, still chooses to look upon us with love, surely that will increase our faith in him if this God would send his son, the Lord Jesus, to die for us. Surely knowing that God will one day seat us with his son, the Lord Jesus, in the heavenly realms will grow our faith in him. One, please, Graham. We should be living a lifetime of service. It's not the lifetime of service that save us, saves us. It's grace. I want to think a little bit now about how that might be outworked in the church. Next slide, please, Sam. We all know these verses. If you want to turn to them again, just flick back to uh, Luke chapter 10. As we think about this famous story of Mary and Martha. It says this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is, be what is better and it will not be taken away from her. So many things we can learn from this passage. And actually in this passage, both Mary and Martha are serving the Lord Jesus. They're doing it in different ways, but they are both serving. Martha, practically, she's making the preparations, she's doing everything that has to be made. Mary doing what is best, and listening to Jesus. Some years ago, I recall uh, being told uh, this, the work of the Lord should never become more important than the Lord of the work. I don't know who coined that initially. I can vividly remember being told it. The work of the Lord should never be more important than the Lord of the work. What's Mary doing here? She's not allowing the work of serving God to, be, to become more important than sitting at his feet and listening to Jesus. Therefore, I want to start this section uh, um, of, of, the, of the message by saying this. Serving Jesus with your life 
is more important than all the practical things of serving the church. Offering yourself as a living sacrifice is the most important thing. That will, at times, be outworked in practical service. But giving your life to Jesus, serving him, is the most important thing. Therefore, if the work of the Lord has become more important for you than the Lord of the work, please come and tell us. Please come and chat to me. Come and chat to Craig or one of the elders so that we can release you from some of those responsibilities. If you just need to sit at Jesus' feet for a few months to take a step back from how you are serving, we will allow that to happen. Now, Craig, when I told him I was going to say this, did say, oh, what about if all the elders suddenly step down at exactly the same time? Well, you can't. Uh, <laughs> but it is the reason why we give people sabbaticals. It's the reason why pastors, roughly every seven years, are given time just to take away. It's the reason why it's so important for us all in our rhythms of life, whether that's daily, weekly, over the course of the year, to take time away, to head off to uh, a conference, to fellowship with others. Friends, can I encourage you in your uh, rhythms of life to do that? Spend time, as Mary did, sitting at Jesus' feet. Those of you who are football fans will have seen this week the, uh, um, the news, surprising news for many, that the Liverpool manager Jurgen Klopp himself, as I understand, a committed Christian, uh, it will be stamp, uh, standing down as manager at the end of the season. No one quite expecting that news to come. One of the reasons he gave? I just can't keep going. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. The same can be true for us. There can be times when we're exhausted, when we're tired, when we just cannot keep, keep going. If that's the case, step back. Sit at Jesus' feet. Allow him to minister to you. Please come and talk to us if that is the case for you this morning. Having said that, well, first and foremost, we should be serving Christ. One way in which that can be outworked, and I think at times should be outworked, is in serving the church. I'm not contradicting myself here. I'm not saying that you must be doing this, but I am going to give you a challenge. In 1 Corinthians, and in various other places in the Bible, but famously in 1 Corinthians 12, we're thought about, the church is thought about as being a body, a body made up of many parts, people with different skills, with different gifts, with different abilities. And we all have a role to play. All of us. When people are welcomed into membership here at Welcome, as elders, we commit ourselves to teaching them. We commit ourselves to their pastoral care. We commit ourselves to praying for you. In response, out of your love for the Lord Jesus, we ask you to consider how you might use the gifts that he has given you to serve the church. We read earlier in Ephesians 2 that God has good works that he has pre-planned for us. For you as an individual, God has gifted you individually, uniquely, in a certain way that there are works that he has pre-planned for you to do that no one else can do because they're pre-planned for you. Next slide, please, Sam. Thank you, Gary. 
uh, next one again. Yeah, keep going. Sorry if I put it in the wrong order. Oh, have I not put, don't worry, okay, flip back. I mustn't have put that one on there. I apologize. Thanks. Uh, uh, James 2 says this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone came, claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Some will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. I will show you my faith by my deeds. A passage that at times can be misunderstood, and it's important that we don't misunderstood, uh, misunderstand. We are not saved by the deeds that we do. That is absolutely not the case. We are saved by grace through faith. But our faith in the Lord Jesus should be outworked in deeds. If we love the Lord Jesus with all of our heart, then we should be loving our neighbour as ourselves. We should be seeing need in our community and we should be being God's hand and feet and meeting that need. It's not the deeds that save us. But if we have faith, then surely that is outworked in that way. Humble service in the body of Christ. Uh, Sam, can you go to the, uh, the one that we were on before? <laughs> Thanks. By the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance to your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is not an exhaustive list either. 1 Corinthians goes on to talk about uh, gifts of prophecy, gifts of um, tongues, gifts of interpretation, gifts of hospitality. We're all different. And isn't that a joy that we are all different? Just as each of us has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we don't... We Though many form one body, and each member belongs to the others. We all have different gifts, but we still form one body. God has gifted each of us uniquely. Can I challenge you? How are you using that gift to glorify him? Here at Welcome, aside from the cleaner who comes in a few hours a week, and Susie, who we um, um, employ to manage the counselling service one day a week, Craig is the only employee of this church. Everything else that happens here is done by volunteers. Thank you. Thank you for your faithful service, not to us as elders, not even to the Welcome Church, but thank you to your faithful service to the Lord Jesus that is expressed here in the Welcome Church. Even if we think about this morning, you were welcomed hopefully at the door. You came in, someone's put these seats here. 
for you to sit on. We've got people at the back serving on PA and projector. Someone's bought that equipment. Someone's keeping the, that equipment up, uh, up and running. We're thankful to the worship team for what they're doing. Then all the children have gone upstairs and they're going to be taught. And there's helpers up there helping them and someone's had to pay for those resources. And the tea and coffee that will be served with afterwards. We're grateful to those who are serving the tea and coffee. Someone's also bought the tea and coffee. Someone's maintaining the kitchen. Someone's cleaning the kitchen. All of these things happen because people are faithfully serving. And we're so grateful and so thankful. number of times that I'm just popping down to church uh, in the week and I just find somebody who's just happened to try to sneak in and do something when nobody else is, uh, is watching. People just coming in to tidy up some weeds or just sort something out or just they've spotted something and just, do you know what, that needs to be done. I'm just going to go and do it. Thank you. We appreciate it. We don't see it all, but we do appreciate it. And in serving the church, sometimes there's a time to step down. Sometimes there's a time where you think, do you know what? It's someone else's turn now. I need to step down, step aside, and let someone else um, do whatever job it is that I'm doing. There's also a time to step up. There's a time to step down. There's also a time to step up. As a a church, we, we, we long to see people becoming disciples of Jesus. We long to see people becoming more and more like him. We long to have fellowship together and enjoy these times together on Sunday mornings and throughout the week. And we long to reach out into our community with the good news of Jesus. But those things can't just happen. Craig cannot do all of that on his own. So let's get practical. I asked the ministry team leaders this week, what are your particular needs at the moment. Can we have the next slide now, please, Sam? I'm just going to go through some of these things. If you want to take a photo, then you, please get your phones out and take a photo. These are particular needs that we have here at Welcome at the moment. This is not an exhaustive list. These are not the only areas uh, in, wi- in which people uh, can serve, but these are particular areas at the moment. Every Sunday morning, And on Monday evenings for our wonderful Pathways group, they are reliant on lifts to get here. There are some people who can't get here on a Sunday morning of their own and need someone to bring them. There's some people uh, who cannot get to Pathways uh, and there's people who are doing two two trips around town to give people lifts. I wonder if you can help with that. We have a small and faithful mission team whose uh, work it is to communicate with uh, the missionaries that we support around the world, we'd love to have some more members and actually someone to lead that team. If you've got a heart for mission, maybe that's you. Pathways group again on, uh, on Monday evenings, uh, they'd love to have some help with serving drinks, but also to help some of the, uh, those um, people with learning disabilities to complete their crafts. They can't do them all on their own. Just come and sit with and be with them and help them with their crafts. I wonder if you can help with that. After service, we really appreciate having tea and coffee served to us uh, each week. The host team would love to have some more people helping out 
with that. Similarly, if you've been here slightly longer, with the welcoming, the host team would love to have some more people helping out with that. The youth team, Lizzie and I were privileged to welcome uh, the youth team to our, to our home for a meal. It was Lizzie and nine men. I stayed in the room. We'd love to have, we pray, people have been praying faithfully for men. Please, can you stop those prayers? <laughs> and pray for women to help, particularly on a Friday evening, to come and hang out with our young people. Lizzie would love to talk to you if that's the case. Uh, the Outreach team would love to have some people who really want to share their faith, but just don't really know how. Not really sure where to start. Rob would love to talk to you if that is the case. Slightly last minute, which is why it's not up here. If anyone wants to um, uh, learn to serve in the PA and the projector and the, um, the live stream team as well, please come and talk to us. Maybe you've got another gift that's uh, hiding away somewhere. Maybe you just think, I'd really like to do this, or I've got a real heart for this. We'd love to hear it. Come and tell us. We'd love to hear. If it doesn't fit into any of those boxes, there's various other ways in which you can serve here at Welcome. We'd love to hear it. Matt, can I invite the bands to come back up? Why... Why, do I, why am I challenging you to serve? I don't want you to come to me this morning and say, Steve, I think I should serve because actually your sermons made me feel a bit guilty. I'm not interested in that. I'm not interested even if you said, oh, actually one of the elders has told me and Craig's told me actually I sh I, maybe I should be thinking about serving. I don't want that to be your motivation. I don't want, oh, I really love welcome and it really feels part of the family. I don't want that to be your motivation. I want your motivation to be, I love the Lord Jesus. And as an overflow of that, I just want to serve him. Yeah. If you love the Lord Jesus, the overflow of that should be serving him. Serving him here at Welcome? Possibly. If that's the case, we'd love to have a chat. But serving him with your life. Maybe this morning's message has been a challenge for you, maybe for different reasons. Maybe you need to step up. Maybe you need to step down. Maybe you need to spend some time just sitting at Jesus' feet. Maybe your faith isn't being outworked in service, whether that's here at Welcome, whether that's elsewhere, whether that's in your life. Maybe there's areas of your life which you're thinking, do you know what? I'm not serving God with that area. I come to church on a Sunday morning, but the person you see at work on a Monday morning is different, and that person's not serving with their life. Maybe we're not being the hands and feet that Jesus calls us, calls us to be. Isaac Watts penned that wonderful hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. The last verse of which says this. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, thank you for your amazing love for us. Thank you for your incredible grace that you've poured out on us. Thank you for your generosity, your kindness, your goodness to us. The most we can give you is the least we deserve. The least you deserve, sorry. Help us to serve you with our whole lives. If there's some of those dark corners of our lives where we're not serving you the way we should, we pray that you would illuminate them. If we've been challenged to serve in our workplace, help us to do that. If we've been challenged to serve here, uh, welcome, help us to step up and do that. If it's time to step down and just sit at your feet, help us to do that too. Your love demands our soul, our lives, and our all. Help us to give you what you deserve. Amen.